0: Jerry Casali is a founding member and the bassist of punk and new wave legends, Devo. Devo started at Kent State University in the early 1970s. Jerry and his friend Bob Lewis had been working on various art projects involving de-evolution, the idea that human evolution has peaked and is now receding. After meeting keyboardist Mark Mothersbaugh, the group transitioned their projects from performance art to rock music. And Devo, the de-evolutionary band, was born. The band ground out a batch of original songs and developed a confrontational live show in Akron, then with the help of some of their early fans like David Bowie and Iggy Pop signed with Warner Brothers Records, and with their 1980 platinum-selling single Whippet became nationally known. Over the course of nearly 50 years, nine studio albums, a mountain of b-sides, rarities, demos, and live releases, Devo has spread the gospel of de-evolution to the masses. Today, we're talking to Jerry about all of this and more. And um, I'm just going to lay my cards on the table and say that I think Devo is one of the, if not the, great American rock bands. And that de-evolution is an essential pillar of Chapo mindset. Nobody else rocks as hard while also so clearly or cleverly channeling the American consumer subject neurotic id as it rages through pop culture, advertising, media, whatever. I'm very proud to bring this interview for subscribers today, and I'm probably going to make it public tomorrow, since, hey, it'll be my long-delayed wedding day, and it's my gift to all the listeners and devotees out there. So strap in, Spuds, for the truth about the evolution.
1: Uh, greetings, everybody. It's uh, Will here for Choppo. Uh Now, normally on the show, uh, you might know me as Mr. Interviews. But today, I am uh, ceding that title to my good colleague, uh, Chris Wade, aka Mr. Music, to bring you this very special guest. So, Chris, why don't you kick things off, introduce our guest, and get us rolling today.
0: Uh, hey, everybody. We are here with Jerry Casale. He is the uh, bassist and founding member of the legendary rock band Devo, uh, and let's just get right into it. Uh, Jerry, it's wonderful to have you on the show. Thanks for stopping by. Um, I'll just start by saying Will and I caught the Devo show at uh, Pier 17 in New York the other week. Uh, oh, great. And it was sick. The uh, current version of the band with uh, Josh Fries and Josh Hager sounds amazing. You guys look great. Um, <laughs> how does it feel to get back out in front of people after the last few years?
2: Well, you know, I can only speak for myself. That's what I love. That's what I did. That's what I spent all my creative and physical energy doing. And so I like doing what i do and uh i i was very happy to finally play a real show which pure 17 was you know at night with our lights and our sound design the way it is and with an encore and full show in the dark uh mm-hmm. you know uh if it was up to me we would be doing 20 of those so uh, <laughs> yeah
1: well jerry yeah uh thank you for the show it was Incredible. I we had so much fun at Pier seventeen seeing you guys. It was it was an absolute blast. So thank you it, so much for that. It was a great crowd. I really like that crowd.
0: Uh so my first and you know overarching question for this interview is um how does it feel to be so right about <laughs> everything for so long? Yeah.
2: <laughs> Not good. I mean <laughs> we didn't really <laughs> we didn't really want this to turn out this way. You know, it was we were we were striking, you know, in the beginning a kind of strident smart ass pose. Uh not that we didn't believe uh in in these ideas. We absolutely did. It was it was a driving force, you know, it was like a class project, right? Like, hey de <laughs> evolution is a real thing, and so let that be your guiding force in the in the um material you write so Mm -hmm. you know it's it's like any kind of inspiration and and it was supposed supposed to be like a satirical warning like canaries in a coal mine not really a handbook for what was going (laughs) to (laughs) happen
0: could you explain de-evolution for the uh, uninitiated in our audience
2: well it's kind of like um acknowledging uh entropy Second law of thermodynamics. Uh, we didn't see this this kind of propaganda promise of of, of linear progress, of, of you know, of unending improvement. What we saw rather was, uh, in fact, the implosion of consciousness. We were seeing things going rolling backwards, falling apart, caving in, entropy shrinking, mm-hmm. going down. <laughs> and, and, yeah. and 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 we really saw evidence of it, you know. Then, mm-hmm. and and it's now just exponentially ramped up. Now we're yeah. in it. It's not a theory anymore.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, then let's go back to the beginning and what you were kind of seeing uh, when Devo first began. Uh, yeah. Of course, starting with um, Kent State, May fourth, yeah, nineteen seventy. Uh, you were on campus for the massacre, and I believe you knew people personally who lost yeah. their lives that day. Yeah, uh, and this has always seemed, in you know, what you've said, uh, at least for you, is the spiritual and psychological starting point of Devo. Can you talk a little bit about how that moment defined and influenced what you were trying to do with Devo?
2: Yeah, you know, uh, ever since the Matrix, I refer to it as the Red Pill moment. Um, uh,
0: of course, yes.
2: Uh, you know, I, I think until then, I was probably unconsciously still like a a liberal live and let live student as, as as intellectual as I was and and as hard as my course loads were in the quote honors college i was still you know a normal guy and uh and believed that de- definitely in american exceptionalism to a degree and that there were bad apples Trying to destroy our wonderful democracy, uh, democratic Mm -hmm. rule of law, but that that it could be fixed, you know, that you could do something about it, and um, slowly but surely, once once the killings happened, and once I was in the middle of that, you know, I was I was a member of Students for a Democratic Society, and I was consciously protesting the expansion of the Vietnam War that day into Cambodia without an act of Congress. And so a lot of my friends and I were aware enough of, uh, of how the Constitution works to know that this was a you know an attack on the Constitution by the Nixon administration. And um, I was closer to the guard than the students who were shot and killed. I think they shot over our heads because they were the same age as us, many of them. And they were just looking at us. They had gas masks on. We didn't. And they could see who they were going to shoot at. And they knew they had live ammo and we didn't. So I think that they kind of like hedged their bets a little bit. And so two of the four students killed were, uh, Alison Krauss and, uh, uh, Jeffrey Miller. And I happened to know them because my, I had a scholarship. That's the only way I went to school because I, you know, I grew up blue, blue collar. I didn't have any money. So I had to get a scholarship to go to college. And part of my, uh, scholarship was to have to work for the Honors College during the summer. Mm -hmm. What did I do? I met the incoming students who were going to be part of the Honors College program, and I set their curriculum with them and, you know, got them oriented Mm -hmm. and had them meet the professors and all that kind of stuff. And so two of those students that were in my little course load were jeffrey miller and Allison Kraus, mm-hmm. and we remained friends they were very cool it's so bizarre that they get killed you know within 20 mm. feet of me behind me
0: just on like a kind of personal note um my mom was actually attended kent state and was on campus the day of the massacre and so that's always been part of my family story as well and you know when i was first getting into devo um, uh, when I was younger, you know, just kind of knowing them as knowing you guys as, you know, kind of legendary new wave band. Right. When I found out that that was part of your origin story as well, it, it, it very much like clicked and registered, you know, resonated with me as, you know, something that I had always heard is a trauma that she went through in, in her family, although trauma. not nearly as close as you. Yeah.
2: It was trauma. And, and, and then, and then in the aftermath of it, you watched, you know, when they say History is in the purview of those who write it. you That's what you mm-hmm. saw as lies, complete mm-hmm. alternate facts, complete fabrication. There were people that said more, you know, the masses of Americans said more students should have been shot and killed. That's oh, how God. they felt. <laughs> and and the way the media presented it is that the students were threatening the guard. You know, mm-hmm. um, I mean, the, the the local papers that night, stated that the students were armed. And so there were militias running around the town, like, you know, nasty right-wing hillbilly militias in regular sedans, you know, Chevy Biscaynes, unmarked cars with shotguns out the window, and the National Guard and helicopters. You know, believe me, uh, we didn't we didn't need to be told to stay inside. We were we were afraid to do anything except hide. <laughs> and there was a curfew for like a week. And mm-hmm. so at seven o'clock you had to be indoors. Anybody on the street could be arrested. There were constant helicopter patrols by the National Guard and um, jeep patrols, you know, manned yeah. carriers. It was it was very nasty. But you watched the national media and the local media flip it upside down and just present a completely uh, fabricated, biased picture of what was going on.
1: And in terms of that being like uh, your, your red pill moment, um, right. like, you know, not just, uh, not just the, the, the murder of your, of your classmates by the national guard, the, right. the way the media murder, they got away with it up or it. Yeah. yeah. And the fact that they got away with it, I mean, obviously like that's pretty profound. And like, did that curdle what was once a kind of idealistic liberalism for right. you?
2: Right. That's, he realize that there is an alternate history that's true, you know, Mm -hmm. that that America, the brand, was just propaganda, and that Mm -hmm. America, the reality, were, you know, imperialistic fuckheads and (laughs) completely duplicitous, And, um, and that it had always been that way. I mean, you know, what, we started by massacring indigenous people, you know, genocide. And then, you know, look what we did to all the people of color in our country forever. And uh, and then look what we did around the world and look what the CIA did. And you start realizing everything you thought is a big lie. And so you start to see it clearly. And um, and then you realize, oh, OK, it's rotten to the core. It's, you know, isn't a few bad apples.
0: Well, along those lines, you know, I, I've heard you describe Akron in the 70s as a, uh, a house of pain, uh, and yeah. not the band you were referring <laughs> yeah. to. Yeah. So, beyond just like the brutality of the Kent State Massacre, were you also then during that time keyed into, you know, I guess I'd call it like the economic devolution, the eco devo of the, you know, the beginning of deindustrialization, and especially in an area like Akron, Rubber yeah. City? Yeah, uh, you were I in actually, like we, some kind of structural decline, you know, the beginning of the ends of
1: capitalism.
2: Yeah. Oh yeah, we watched it, it was visible, you know, you watched it happen. And then you watched the exit of all the rubber companies and you realized, oh, I kind of missed that disgusting green sulfur <laughs> in the air and, <laughs> and the smell. Uh, it, it was sad, it was very depressing, very sad.
0: So then just continuing on those early days you know, you're you're in Akron, you're in the Northeast Ohio area uh, and you and uh, Mark and the two Bobs are together and, you know, hardcore Devo fans will know the mountains of B-sides and rarities from that era. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It sounds like you've generated basically more than the first two albums of material before you even stepped foot into a studio. Could you just kind of describe yeah. like that creative period, how you guys were generating material, Um, you know, what the story the early songs tell?
2: Yeah, well, I mean, we, you know, We were basically in a tiny bubble. We were surrounded by, you know, working class, white uh, people that were right wing, anti-intellectual, you know, kind of evangelical, full of the white grievance that you saw Trump stoke the fires of. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we had nowhere to go except to relate to each other because, (laughs) you know, we were like refugees (laughs) <laughs> um, and, and, and we thought very similarly and we had to entertain ourselves. We had to do what we were doing as a kind of, you know, an anecdote to, uh, what we were surrounded by. So we, you know, in a couple of basements, uh, and, uh, several garages over a period of three years, we had about mm-hmm. 45 songs, you know, that, that all came about because we were collaborating and experimenting. Devo was a an art collective and an experimental. And so we would just do whatever we thought of. And, you know, when, when, when there was something that all of us resonated with, then we would develop that. But it was just mm-hmm. from a place of tablo rosa. We, we didn't want to sound like anything on the radio, and we didn't want to mm-hmm. be like any other band. We wanted to be us. We were looking for self-expression purely, and it was always a multimedia idea.
1: And like, you know, uh, in addition to sounding different than anything of the era, like is like the, 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 the content of like intellectually what you were trying to express, like did you feel right. that, like that, that also, like that wasn't on the radio, that wasn't in any of this sort of counterculture or popular culture, this kind of uh, dark sarcasm, the sarcastic warning that, that you were talking about earlier, did you feel that that was lacking from the popular culture of the day? Absolutely.
2: Absolutely. I mean, you know, we were surrounded by stuff like you know Tony Orlando and Dawn. You know, I mean, <laughs> that's what was going on. Either that, or like um, Foghat, or you know, some stadium acts with the you know terrible music, uh, you know, and, and with with platform shoes and and skin tight pants and you know hairbands.
0: Yeah, I was listening to you uh on another interview where you described an early gig where you had to open for a hair metal band called yeah. Clown. Yeah. <laughs> Clown. Yeah. Uh and then of course the irony that uh you know you later would be uh <laughs> Devo later would be you know thought of by some as clowns.
2: Yes. Hopefully evil clowns.
0: <laughs> so you know you're you're generating all this material and you're feeling like you're in this bubble, you know, as you just said, like refugees, and it seems like a big uh, feature of early Devo interacting with the public playing shows is this like confrontation totally these shows themselves are confrontational you know I'd, I'd love to hear you you know speak about that energy and what it was like interacting with you know I guess today we'd call them normies uh, <laughs> but also maybe if you could describe just because it's a great story the uh, the Halloween 75 show the yeah, opening that, for Sunra.
2: that was a high point um, that's where um you know i i was always honing my skills as uh you know this this undercover guy i would pretend to be the band's manager mm-hmm. uh i i i lied to get that gig i said we were a cover band yeah and uh, <laughs> and this guy in cleveland bill Cavanaugh, who had a recording studio he helped us uh, he helped us with that uh you know that lie and so here we are uh at the big annual Halloween party for, you know, Cleveland's top FM station. So these people are insiders that think they are very hip and very cool. And they have, you know, it's a costume party. So (laughs) all these kind of, you know, radio jocks and their privileged friends are all dressed in full Halloween costume. All the cliches, you know, Frankenstein, the werewolf, you know, and, and, of course, the was girls were.
1: It was a monster mash.
2: Monster mash. <laughs> the girls are always, you know, what they went right for was they dressed like prostitutes, right? So, <laughs> uh, so you've got monsters and prostitutes, and, and they're all doing nitrous oxide. They're going upstairs in this hall that they rented where the offices are, you know, and all, all the cool people are doing nitrous oxide. And so we're opening for Sun Rock. And uh, we come out in our original, uh, we had these blue fireman work outfits that were uh, jumpsuits with uh, clear plastic masks and blue plastic hard hats. And they just see that right away and they're like, what the fuck? You know, <laughs> this, this is,
0: Hey, it's a, it's a costume party, man. This is
2: not cool. You know, yeah, it's a costume party. <laughs> and uh you know we
1: wanted we wanted dracula we wanted dracula and the mummy get these construction (laughs) workers out of here
2: you know and i think we opened with with like my woman subhuman you know Mm -hmm. and and it's just this bizarre you know it's like on the par with captain beefheart you know his early stuff and Mm -hmm. and they're just they're staring and they're just they're in shock and they're frozen at first. They don't even know what to do. And then I go, "Here's one by Bad Company," and then we do <laughs> and, uh You know, keep naming these bands, and so they're getting really pissed off. So we go right to Jaco Homo, and that did it. You know, Jaco G- Homo is the A bomb, and mm-hmm. uh, and and so Mark starts, you know, coming down off the stage with the microphone, going, "Are we not men?" And they, you know this. One guy dressed like Frankenstein just grabs him and goes, you guys are fucking assholes.
1: We are we not men? You're not even Are we not men? We, we are, we are
2: <laughs> not a he yells into the mic and rips it out of Mark's hand, you know. And then Mark jumps back on stage and grabs another mic and keeps it up. And they start throwing, you know, beer bottles at us and, and charging the stage. And we, we had to leave. Uh, you know, our roadies tried to run interference for us. And uh, so the set was over in about 20 minutes with, you know, physical threats. So we, uh, we went out the back way and we went to our van and we changed back into our street clothes. And we went over to Captain Frank's, this terrible seafood place on the on the water there in Lake Erie. It was featured in uh, Stranger Than Paradise. Okay. You know, the, the, famous, uh, the Jim like, Jarmusch uh, movie? Jim Jarmusch. Yeah. Jim Jarmusch movie where they walk out under the pier at Captain Frank's and they stare at a frozen Lake Erie for a while and they're just staring around at it. And then they, they kind of nod and go, okay. And they get back in the car and leave, uh, <laughs> you know, and every everything at Captain Frank's is just deep fried, you know? Yeah, sure. And, but of course we're all pumped up that, that we got this reaction because what we were doing was performance art. There, there wasn't a terminology for it like that. Nobody had labeled it that. But that's what we did.
0: That was going to be my follow-up question. Would yeah. you consider that? Did you consider that a good show at that? Oh, time? Oh yeah,
2: yeah. See, we were all pumped up and you know doing the, our version of high-fiving each other and you know talking about it and recounting it instantly. You know, and because we thought this is great. You know, because we hated them as much as they hated us. So <laughs> if, we, if we can get those kind of people to do that, we should do more of this. You know, we should do it
0: more. So yeah, just speaking on on that, that thing you were saying that you had to um, you know, do some light subterfuge. The, the, the a lot of the again, this early history of Devo seems like infused with you doing a lot of uh, you know, for lack of a better word, lying, uh, you know, posing as a manager, sending fake yeah, yeah, letters yeah. of introduction. Yeah. Um you know, as you actually, you know, secured record deals and started making music, did you have a sense that like your success was kind of a bit of a scam that you were perpetrating on, uh, on, on the pop culture that you like to, uh, you know, satirize?
2: Yeah, I mean, it, 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 we didn't have a choice. That's what you had mm-hmm. to do. It was either that or nothing. And what we were doing, if if we were fooling anybody it was for a good purpose we we didn't have a malign motive to do it we were we thought that the devo voice was necessary in the marketplace
1: (laughs) uh well uh, actually as speaking of a speaking of the marketplace i was just uh, i was curious i mean one of the things that like i've I've sort of always associated with the devo style is this kind of uh a, aping in anticipation of like the aggression of advertising slogans and and yeah. marketing speak yeah, and I was just wondering like you know like so like intellectually like were you like how how did you guys respond to like the the changing in uh like the styles of advertising like I said like in the seventies like coming out of deindustrialization like did you notice the sort of the, the 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 like the ways advertising had basically absorbed the counterculture and was now like reflecting it back in this very kind of like slick um, Hyper aggressive manner.
2: Definitely, um, individually, Mark and I, and and uh, our collaborator in film Chuck Statler, and my um, poet friend Bob Lewis that I started all the theories with. We we were very observant of what the hell was going on, and we would, you know, we would monitor everything going on on television and in print like critics, like students, and, and we, we would analyze what they were doing and go, oh, we can use these techniques, the same techniques they're using. We can subvert this. This is, this is the effective way to go because the old school, you know, rebellion is obsolete, you know. Mm-hmm. What you have to do is go inside and use their communication techniques to put out your message. And that's exactly what we were doing on purpose. And especially with the videos, that's what I was doing. Yeah. We were even watching the way fast food commercials were cut on television. <laughs> yes. Really. Uh, and I started cutting the video.
1: I mean, I just like, I just like in terms of your, your, your music, I mean, like the, the, the best example of this in my head is your guy's cover of Satisfaction. Yeah. And you know, I gotta I got credit our our good friend and co-host Matt Chrisman, who regards it as the best cover of all time because it just like it sounds exactly like the shift that happened in the culture where you take a song that's originally about, you know, like sexual satisfaction via advertising and marketing, but it sounds sort of like liberatory in its energy. And then your guys' cover of it, you turn it into this like robotic dirge. It like yeah. just like it, it sounds yeah. like, you know, what advertising did to like the hope of the like counterculture of the 60s and 70s it's just baby 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 baby
2: yeah yeah i know what you're saying jagger was talking about that he couldn't get no satisfaction but the song was very blues satisfying sex and
0: it sounds like a man who has gotten satisfaction
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah
2: Whereas Dito yeah. sounds like exactly what it would be like not to have satisfaction,
1: <laughs> real, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah,
2: you know. Yeah. And and uh, yeah, and, and and that once again just like I was talking about with, with performance art and there not being a label for it, what I love about our cover of Satisfaction is that we deconstructed the song. And deconstruction wasn't a thing yet being talked about in the art world, but that's exactly what that version is. If you needed an example of deconstruction, it would be Debo's Satisfaction. And you can look, you can hear the parts, you know, and put it mm. back together and see how it's deconstructed.
0: Just following on this line of, you know, monitoring this switch, this, you know, the the evolution of advertising, you know, the early parts of Devo is very, like, satirical of celebrity culture. And I'm even thinking about, uh, you know, the cover of Are We Not Men, where you make this uh, kind of amalgamation of all these, uh, I believe, like, golfers or something into a version of, like, a perfect man who ends up looking horrifying.
2: yeah, 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 a mutant. Uh, yeah, recombinant, exactly. <laughs> recombinant and yeah, exactly. A D.A.A. mutant. Yeah, exactly. It was a combination of um, Chichi Rodriguez, the famous golfer, and, and yes. three American presidents.
1: Okay. You remember which ones?
2: Yeah. Um, Jimmy Carter, LBJ, mm-hmm. Kennedy. Sounds about right. So, you know, yeah, we were okay. having fun. What can I say? Yeah. You know, because <laughs> that, that, that was behind it all. Is just yeah. creative fun,
0: but so then by like you know by the time Whippet breaks in the you know early '80s, then you guys find yourself in the position of being kind of actual celebrities yourselves. <laughs> yeah. And I was just, uh, you know, wondering, like, how that affected how you then approached the material and, you know, the stage show and, and uh, how you would, you know, you would fully become inside the machine at that point and how that kind of affected your perspective of how you were doing the project of Devo.
2: Well, that's, yeah, that's when you're really tested. That's when you mm-hmm. really find out who you are. And, you know, I mean, since for me, at least I can, you know, only talk for me since it was all from the beginning very thought out and very conscious what the goal was, what we were mm-hmm. trying to do, which was, like any artist, be really good at what you wanted to say, right? When Whippet finally happened and now you had the ears of the of the insiders, right? Now, I thought this is great because now we'll have more opportunities. Now we can do bigger things because we can get funding and we can get interest Right, from the the real players, you know, the gatekeepers will open mm-hmm. the gates. And uh <laughs> it, it it didn't work that way. <laughs> it didn't work that way at all.
0: Yeah, I, I was watching um a clip of you guys on American Bandstand, I think around that time. <laughs> you know, this is you know, right after Whippet and you know, you, you again, as you're saying, you're hoping that the gates are open and you know, Dick Clark, this great uh you know, in his own way, a gatekeeper of American musical society of that time comes over and He's basically uh, doing a kind of, gee whiz, what is this? Some yeah. kind of joke from yeah. the future type thing? And yeah, just, yeah. uh, he says, um, I, I read all your interviews, and it seems like you guys never give a straight answer. Do you ever tell the yeah, truth? Yeah. And you just say uh, kind of plaintively, I think we're always telling the truth. It's just uh, yeah. no one listens.
2: <laughs> you no, know, I've read everything that's ever been written about you, and there's never been one straight line ever written. Is it because you don't do interviews or you don't give straight answers? No, we do give straight answers, but nobody believes them. I mean usually people tell you what colors they like and no your favorite ice cream and the, all of that cream. yes yes I remember those what interviews kind
0: of you know did you did you have that sense when you were at that point that you were like yes now we're giving the message but nobody's nobody's hearing it
2: yeah I saw what happened it's 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 it's, it's horrid it's you know you're being <laughs> trivialized and you're being you're in the soup and you're being like put through the meat grinder Uh, There's a a new documentary on George Carlin on HBO. Mm -hmm. It's in two parts. Each part's like almost two hours long. And you watch it happen. In that documentary, the same thing that happened to Devo happens to Carlin. And he starts to appear on these variety shows. And he's completely like beside himself. And he's being destroyed by these goons. (laughs)
0: You know, yeah. <laughs> you mostly just want like, uh do a funny clip and then promote the next album type thing. Yeah, you know?
2: yeah exactly. Yeah.
0: At your most recent show, you had a video, or the show we saw, you had a, a, a maybe a new addition to the video package. At least it wasn't there when I saw. also saw yeah. you guys at Riot Fest last uh Yeah, the senior September. citizen
2: version of Rod Reuter.
0: Yeah, exactly. And you play the original clip of this satirical video you did, right. like, yes, in the 70s of you meeting the record exec and him kind of giving you the business. And now you have the update of the same guy. Yeah. You know, I just, could you speak to your experience in the record industry and like these, you having this project and having to deal with these guys who were like, no, it's just business. We're selling units.
2: (laughs) It was, I never made up one line that Rod Reuter said in all of our interstitial videos that we shot back then, starting in 1979, (laughs) anything he said, was said to us or me Mm -hmm. by executives. We got ideas. Here,
1: relate to this. Devo dolls. Our boys down in merchandising didn't miss a trick. We even got your jumpsuits. We got them going into all the discount stores. I can forgive you guys for being artists, but I can't forgive you for being stupid. I'm not telling you what to do. I'm telling you what you're doing. You're begging for the barrel room.
2: And, and all I would do is remember it and go home and write it in my notebook. <laughs> and um, it's, it's fantastic. You can't make that stuff up.
0: Uh, yeah, that stuff uh, about um, you guys, you know, I could get pre- any any number of pretty girls in here any any day, and you're just not the, the type of girl I'm looking for today. Yeah, you, yeah, yeah you're not them-
2: my kind of girl, yeah.
1: Uh, my favorite part of the uh, the Rod video is that um the the updated like when Rod now Rod in the present day um there there's a part where he is uh he's turned control of the record company over to his shithead son yeah. and I I was el- I was elbowing Chris so hard cuz I was like man like these guys still have it dead to rights about who's in charge of our culture now. Cause like uh, Rod's son is portrayed as this like awful like hype beast fitted hat, like you know, uh TikToker, yeah. Yeah, yeah, TikTok yeah. kid. Uh
2: yeah, uh, yeah. A white privileged guy that pretends he's yeah. black. Yeah. Who yeah, who got
0: <laughs> yeah, the yeah. who got the record company from his father. Yeah, exactly.
2: Yeah. The way it really works. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, we're talking about the videos and, like, costumes, video, multimedia has al- yeah. always been, like, an essential element of the the Devo package. It's not just the music. It's a whole thing. And, yes. you know, m- this might be a kind of reductive way to say this, but, you know, do you think it's necessary to wear a costume to be a great rock <laughs> band, you know? <laughs> well. Or, you know, is yeah. what Devo wears even a costume?
2: Well, <laughs> everybody's wearing a costume even when they think they're not, right? Right, I mean, right. What, I mean, what about, you know, Pembleton plaid shirts and uh, mm-hmm. ripped jeans? That was a costume, you know? I mean, everything's a costume. What band didn't wear a costume?
0: Right. So I want to talk a little bit about uh, pu- the idea of punk rock. And I've heard you say that uh, rock and roll doesn't change the world. It just reflects and magnifies what's there. Pretty much. So, you know... Punk comes along and you guys are kind of like lumped into this right. movement, which is a lot of different uh, things yeah. there. And it's kind of portrayed advertised as this revolutionary uh, overthrow of a, a kind of stodgy <laughs> moment of corporate rock. Yeah. 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 I don't know. How, how did you feel about Devo being thought of as, you know, this in the same as there's like, you know, class of 77 CBGB, you know, Ramones style bands.
2: Yeah. It was just, it was a, uh, like a, an accident of timing, right? Mm-hmm. We're doing what we're doing at the same time this movement starts and of course the you know, the business people that want to package and make money from that movement, label it and so there's mm-hmm. punk and there's new wave and right, right. Devo's in there, right? And I suppose because of the energy of our music and the stridentness and some somewhat Anger, you know, there was some anger, but not like punk anger. You know, punk anger was nihilistic and anti-intellectual. Uh, in fact, a lot of punks were white nationalists. They were yeah, kind of racist. And and Devo, you know, we were punk scientists. We we embraced <laughs> ideas. You know, we weren't anti-intellectual, and we were mad about pretty substantive things. You know, it, our grievance wasn't. Um, because we were white or working class, it was because of the wholesale injustice of the world, right? Of, mm-hmm. of the hypocrisy, the duplicity, and and so then we got lumped into New Wave at the same time. And I thought, well, that's all right because at least we are what's new about New Wave. <laughs> <You> know, we <laughs> didn't sound way. like a sixties garage band, right? So and we weren't wearing white shirts and black skinny ties. So we were at least original. So we were what was new about New Wave. And frankly, unless they can dismiss you or trivialize you, you don't have a chance. You know, somebody asked Bob Dylan back when, what do you think? uh, How do you feel that most people don't understand your big hit like a Rolling Stone um, at all? And he goes, oh, I'm relieved. I'm glad because if they did, I I wouldn't be successful.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, did you feel that way a little bit about Whip It?
2: Yeah. They thought it was about beating off and Mm sadomasochism. And and when I try to explain what it was about,
1: we just bum them out. They're so (laughs) bummed out. You know, you, you, you pride yourself on, like, being original and different, you know, and also being, uh, you know, some, some, somewhat uh, a bit sarcastic. So smartasses, you might say. I'm yeah. wondering, like, were there any contemporaries of you guys, like, like any acts that when you first saw them, you were like, uh, wait, we, we need to step up our game or inspired you or, uh, you know, in, influenced you in any way?
2: I, th- I think in terms of presentation energy and um, pure musicianship, there were a lot of instances like that all All through, I can tell you from me, when I saw david Bowie 's Diamond Dogs tour, I went home and hid under the covers. I was so <laughs> embarrassed at where we were at compared to that, you know, I thought, oh my God, uh should we just quit or you know i, I it was an alarm it was a you know three alarm fire emergency uh like okay, folks, we're not even. Close to ready for prime time. We got to work. And there, that was the first one. And there were and that, other reasons. That,
1: that, that's a scary feeling in the time, but like looking back at it now, do you think it was a necessary one? Like, are you yeah. glad that you, David Bowie blew you away that badly?
2: Oh, yeah. It was a call to action. It was, it's like, oh, who do you think you are? Did you see what that guy did? If you think you're an yeah. artist, you better get, you better get <laughs> serious now. And I did get serious. That was 1975. 74 and uh, right at the end. And that was a wake up call and it changed me. And then um, I think, you know, when I saw the damned and I saw the Ramones in New York, Mm -hmm. like a year before we got there, I thought, oh my God, okay. These guys have taken what they do and they've taken it all the way. And that's what it's about. You have to do what you do and you have to take it far enough. When you think you've gone too far you haven't even started you you yeah. really got to take it far enough and they did
0: i mean that's what's so funny and fascinating and interesting about the ramones is that what they do is simple but it's so conceptually oh, pure fantastic. you know which is fantastic. and the conceptual purity is like also one of the great things about devo the
2: absolutely their minimalism their focus basically they had one song right it didn't yeah. matter it was just variations <laughs> on a theme but it was just the perfect presentation. The sound of the guitars, just the right amount of distortion, just the right amount of of BPMs, and just the hypnotic repetition of the rock and roll beat. It's incredible.
0: We were, you know, we've been talking about punk, and you mentioned earlier, you know, the kind of nihilism of punk that you think that you know, you felt D.Va was a, uh, you know, opposed to, or you know, worked in different, different direction film, from. Yeah. You know, and you mentioned that there's a lot of Anger. There's a lot of sarcasm in Devo's music. Yeah. Do you think there's there's a lot of hope? Or any hope?
2: <laughs> well, I suppose there was hope in the in the sense that there was a sense of humor behind it. Mm-hmm. And because there's a sense of humor, that betrays any any pose you might be trying like to act like there's no hope. You're you're definitely there's hope. Because mm-hmm. you're bothering to do it
0: yeah Yeah. (laughs) and I always I always certainly thought of songs like you know Gates of Steel as a you know a call to action of of, it was anthemics yeah yeah there's a possibility of triumph over, over the conditions that we laid out correct you know correct
2: It's human nature. It's human yeah, nature. Exactly. You can't help it. You can't
0: it. I will get back to that sentiment in just a second. But uh, I'd like to talk for just a second about uh, Ohio, because as I mentioned before, I'm, I'm from Ohio. I grew up in Cincinnati. Uh-huh. And Devo, you've always uh, you know, centered the coming from Akron. And, you know, I think on this show, we often come back to Ohio as kind of a semi-mythic place in America, maybe ostensibly the most normal state. And that makes it the weirdest state. Uh, so, y- would you say that there's any um, there's an essential Ohio ness to Devo's uh, music?
2: Absolutely, I think so. You I know, mean, Ohio is a, um, a a real anomaly because it's not really the Midwest. It's not normal at all. It's it's a pressure cooker of insanity. I mean, you know how many serial <laughs> you know how many serial killers came out of Ohio? I mean, but do you know how many? Exceptional people came out of Ohio, I mean mm-hmm. Ohio's a good place to be from if you can get out of there.
0: <laughs> I agree, I agree sir
2: and it's it's boot camp it's boot camp. If you can survive the abuse and trauma that you go through in Ohio <laughs> at the hands of quote normal people right of, yes, of like just the repression and the censorship and the and the the lack of respect and you know. If you can do that, you're you're really strong. Now nobody can crush you when you're from Ohio.
0: I agree. <laughs> so just to go back to that sentiment about a uh, human nature, um, yeah. you know, I guess when I start, for, first started listening to Devo, you know, I I, I imagine the band's role as you know uh, warriors, kind of fighting against the evolution, warning about it. As you said, the canaries in the coal mine or coal mine earlier, and you know after, especially after seeing. You guys a few times and uh, kind of feeling the communal energy of being in a Devo crowd. Now I kind of think of Devo more as guides and you know protectors. They're <laughs> shepherding <laughs> us through the de-evolution.
2: Yeah,
0: and I've I've yeah. heard you describe Devo as being a bit like the house band on, on the yeah. Titanic. Like, what yeah. what do you think of that? Is are are Devo fighting against or guiding through the deevolution?
2: No, I I think that's what we became is the house band on the Titanic um, because it's. In, you, you can't escape. We did say we're all Devo. We did not exclude ourselves from the quotient. <laughs> and and that's, that's on purpose. Uh, realizing the, the, the terrible flaw of human nature, you know, you see where it goes. It's, it's like fate. You can't escape this. You know, no matter how much you try, the dark side of human nature will sabotage any of the lofty ideals and wonderful deeds that humans are capable of. And you're seeing it now.
1: You know, I think about like, you know, uh, other artists in the 20th century or the latter half of the 20th century that have uh, attempted to communicate in their own way uh, this similar idea that, that we are uh, devolving or that, that technology, marketing, advertising, psychology is all turning us into something other than human. You know, like whether it's like, you know, J.G. Ballard or William Burroughs, or the films right. of David Cronenberg, and I think in the right. best, in the best of all of them, and including you, it's like they're repelled by it, but like there, there is this like holding out this very real possibility and experience that losing your humanity is like distinctly pleasurable.
2: Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, it's your journey. Like you realize, oh, there's no choice. You're on the road. The train left the station. <laughs> this is what's going to happen. You know, mm-hmm. um, and and that's what you see. That is that is the flaw, the duality of human nature. It's what all the greatest minds kept telling everybody for centuries in literature and any other kind of art form. I mean, look at Jung talking about, you know, the shadow reality of, of humanity in the dark side, the duality of humanity. It's everything we like, every science fiction movie, every horror film, Deals with this same basic treatise,
0: mm-hmm. yeah. And I, I think then for me, you know, that kind of thing that you touch on there—that we are all devo—that is to me, you know, the the hope is that on one side you have the feral monkeys all fighting against each other, you know, as as right. the one side of devolution. But then, kind of, you know, if we can all embrace it, know that we are on this trip together, then right. we can at least start. From working at, you know, a, a common ground to work off of and know right. that we are all Devo and then move right. from there, perhaps together. And, and
2: that's what self-aware people do. And that's why they would have a sense of humor about, oh, nobody really knows what they're talking about. Everybody's full of shit. And if you know that, there are certain things that you will not do. Yeah. You know, you, you will not become a tyrant. You will not subscribe to authoritarianism. Because you shouldn't believe in anything or anybody. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you're,
0: you're alienated. You're completely uh, atomized, you know?
2: Or aliens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh,
0: you know. So then I guess along those lines, you know, can we reverse the evolution? Or is it kind of like an only way out is through situation? Yeah, that's what
2: it is. That's what it is. <laughs> you know, no, really, in, in the history of mankind is constantly the cycle of just scratching your way back to square one Uh uh-huh that's where we are now
0: (laughs) well i mean you know on our very last episode that we recorded of this show you know we were talking a little bit about how there's a a a bit of a a promise or desire to uh to de-weird the world and you know perhaps a little bit of the uh current president's last pitch during his presidential campaign was uh about like i will make it less weird but You can't. Once it's weirded, the weirdness is the new level, you know? Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. He was just basically what he was doing, that poor old guy. um, (laughs) Our our choice, you know, our choices are ludicrous, right? It's like, really? We live in a free society and here's who you have to choose. As president of the United States, you got Donald Trump and you got Joe Biden. It's like the difference between demented and dementia. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. And and then, hey, here you go. Freedom of choice, people like ludicrous, (laughs) ludicrous choices. That's like Pepsi and Coke. Oh, they're both bad for you. But here, this one's cooler packaging. Uh, And I think what he was doing, you know, Biden is he was performing triage because Trump laid waste to reason, to democratic rule of law, to decency. He was the thug bully on the playground that gets away with it, because you go look what he's doing, and he goes, "Yeah, what are you going to do about it?" And everybody went, "Nothing. We can't do anything <laughs> <laughs> because we're all corrupted. You were, the, the rule of law is is useless, you know, and that's where we're at." So Trump, you know, Biden comes along and it's triage. That's yeah. all was. That's all it's going to be. Is, Four years of cleanup after the plane crashes on the runway. And uh, and then you're right back where you started from and probably even worse off. Wait till you see what's going to happen, folks. You ain't seen yeah. nothing yet.
0: Uh, and that's the de-evolution is that you can't get back to actual normal. You can only get no. back, even if you try to do the triage, back to slightly worse, weirder, dumber than it was before.
2: No, and you know... They keep saying democracy was an experiment, and I guess it was, because you can kiss its ass goodbye now. Uh, yeah. No, I'm serious. Fascism, here we come. 100% pure fascism, here we come. And look, look at what Putin's doing. Look at it. And look at the feckless West, the NATO and the United States. Wimp, uh, impotent, corrupted by self-interest and by oil. They can't do anything.
0: Well, this is where, of course, the thought of de-evolution takes us to the, uh, the very dark and seemingly intractable uh, position that we all find ourselves in. But, you know, yeah. of course, to be there it, to guide us, as always, a Devo. So I'd, I'd like to spend just maybe the last few minutes with some, some fun, lighter questions about the yeah. music. We love the songs. Yeah. Uh, what's your favorite Devo song to play?
2: Hmm. God, there's many. There's many.
0: I mean, they seem very fun to play.
2: Certainly uh, Uncontrollable Urge, um, uh, Gates of Steel, uh, Beautiful World, but things like Satisfaction, Come Back Johnny, Shrivel Up. Uh, yes. I love playing those songs.
0: You, you mentioned a lot of songs off the first album, and I'm not just you know saying this to gas you up, but for the sake of the listeners, I, I think Devo may be more associated with the synth-heavy 80s stuff, which of course also rocks, but... I just think it can't be understated how tremendous and anthemic the rock part of Devo is, especially on some of those earlier songs. And and I think seeing the band and seeing you guys play live and really just cook together really drives home that point.
2: And we we, those songs came from playing live and playing Mm -hmm. in garages and basements over and over, hundreds of hours, and no machines. You know, we were the machine.
0: Yeah.
2: When machines took over, that's when. Devo became devolved.
0: (laughs) Yes. I mean, yeah. And then, but, you know, in in classic Devo style, you leaned into it. You know, I was just uh, reading about, I think it was your 82 tour where you were really innovating of like syncing all the songs up to the visual effects to make a cohesive, very pioneering system. I mean, do you want to explain how how that tour worked a little bit? Because now every festival act works the exact same way.
2: I know, it's funny. We, we were doing that when nobody did it, and we had to use really um, really crude film technology. And the way that worked is there was a 35-millimeter a sound dubber like they would use in a theater, mm-hmm. uh, in a movie theater, and that had the sequencer lines on it that we were playing to, and those sequencer lines were taken from the final mix that we shot the video of the song to. So now if we put video elements up on the screen that have been cut to those sequencer lines that came from the actual take and mix of the song. So when we're playing live to those clicks, everything on screen behind us is synced. That's the only way you could do it then. There was no easy, cheap video technology, yeah. you know, with time code at 30 frames a second. That It was Gears, it was Gears. (laughs) And the dubber was connected to the film projector. And the film projector was a special, expensive rear projection film uh, projector because we didn't have that much space in the venues we were playing for a throw longer than about 20 feet, but it had to be a big image.
0: I can't so, imagine your, uh, you or whoever your tour manager was at the time trying to explain this system to the venues you were trying to book for the tour and then just being yeah. like, uh, well, usually "We usually just throw some pyro up uh, and, yeah. you know, call it a day.
2: Yeah. <laughs> We'd always be going, how much wall, how much distance <laughs> from that curtain <laughs> to the brick wall behind, you know? <laughs> like, get um, rid of
0: that curtain. I've heard you muse a few times about potentially having a whole new Devo, like a kind of... Star Trek: The Next Generation, but like a whole wonderful new cast of Devo for Next Generation, and you know, is it something you kind of did with Devo, d 2.0, which is a whole other hilarious story that I don't know if we have time to get into right now. But maybe
2: another podcast. Yeah, exactly. That's an hour's worth.
0: Yes, I highly recommend people looking into it because it's the stories are very funny. But my question is, is is that something that so attracts you, a Devo, The Next Generation? It does me, yeah,
2: personally, yes.
0: I would uh, wh- how would you imagine that happening? Would you be like casting someone or, uh, you know, dubbing uh, a, a new a new group? Is there anything out there that you see really carrying on carrying on the uh, sensibilities, aesthetics, the mission of Devo?
2: I, I wish I don't. But I think there are plenty of musically inclined uh, young people that would want <laughs> to do that, that would work with us. You know, they wouldn't mm-hmm. be puppets wouldn't be like that but we would definitely write and show them things and watch them get good at doing it and uh i would direct the, the visuals for the stage show and the
0: video mm-hmm. i mean the world always needs uh devo
1: um will do you have anything else that you'd like to like to ask uh, no, I mean, I think uh, I think Chris, I think you covered everything. I just want to say, uh, Jerry, uh, thanks for the, thanks for the show the other week, and thanks for all the music. It's, uh, it's it was really like a religious experience for me seeing you guys uh, live for the first time after you know uh, imbibing yeah. so deeply in the uh, having, having having supped so deeply from the de-evolution cup <laughs> to uh, to experience it uh, in physical reality was uh, something else entirely. So thank you very much.
2: <laughs> well, thank you for all the great questions and insights. You guys are heartening you know it gives me
0: hope <laughs> well you, I think you, you I guys think we, are smart guys well I think we here on the show like to think that we are a little Devo although it's a <laughs> obviously a huge mantle uh, to pick up and we are of course whether we like to or want to be or not are all Devo yeah but before we let you go is there anything that you would like to plug I understand that there is a uh, a sick new red vinyl pressing of your solo LP LP out now
2: yeah yeah and it it is' actually quite nice i think, I think that vinyl sounds really good, and I really am happy about you know the the song that I did i'm gonna pay you back and the video that you can see on YouTube. the
0: video is really cool i I think yeah. that that looks yeah. like like nothing I'd really seen before, like the animation style is 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 really and, interesting and
2: and yeah and and wouldn't you expect that from me? Yeah. I worked with uh <laughs> I mean, I worked with a great guy, Davey Force. Davey Force. Mm-hmm. He's a, a CG wizard, and he uses um, these new um, artificial intelligence programs that extrapolate between live action and animation. And it's exactly what I wanted. I wanted a realm, I wanted a reality dimension that wasn't live action, that was more like the Marvel universe or something.
0: Yeah. I mean, yeah, one could imagine like a whole, you know, animated live action to animated, you know, series or something composed yeah. like that. It, it, it's, I'm going it's very... to do a new
2: one using the same technique. I'm going to do a new one oh, nice. A song that I recorded called The Invisible Man. And it is the it will follow from the end of that video where the spaceship blows up to <laughs> to the next video of The Invisible Man.
0: I mean, not to keep you too long or nerd out too much, but is that from the same sessions as the I'm gonna pay you back single? Because I, I thought that song, you know, from your solo stuff it sounds really interesting. Kind of like a gang of four-ish element to it, <laughs> yeah, like that harsh, true. like rock yeah. funk to it.
2: Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it did it did come from that period, the invisible man. Yeah.
0: Nice. Well we'll link the uh the red LP in here and i mean the only thing i can say to all the listeners I, I don't think that you guys have any dates coming up but if devo plays live do everything you can to go see them because it is as will says a religious experience
2: well you'll have to lo- lobby mark mother's ball you know? yes you're preaching <laughs> to the converted here <laughs>
0: uh yeah tweet at mark uh i don't know if he checks twitter send letters to mutato musica or wherever yeah. his office is yeah. uh yeah don't Uh, harass him live because i certainly heard that he had enough trouble with that tiktok uh influencer house near his (laughs) near his uh uh, (laughs) uh, home (laughs) but jerry thank you so much for stopping by and talking to us this has been a delight hopefully talk to you more soon thank you
1: thank you so much jerry in the past this information has been suppressed but now it can be told every man woman and mutant on this planet shall know
0: the truth about de-evolution
2: oh dad we're all people i uh-huh.